Hi there, and welcome to the e-commerce marketing 101 podcast brought to you by Dash, the visual content management tool for DTC businesses. In this podcast, we'll be chatting with marketers and creatives just like you. We'll cover the campaigns and design methods they've used to grow their DTC brand so you can grow yours. I'm your host, Barney. Let's kick off today's episode. Hello. Well, I'm super excited to be sitting down today with Yang Leo. Yang is on the iconic Forbes 30 under 30 list and is the founder of successful men's underwear brand, Just Wears. Having been featured on Dragon's Den and Gogglebox, I'm sure you'll have heard of this brand already, but in case they need an introduction, Just Wears stands out in a crowded marketplace with their commitment to comfort, the quality of their products, sustainability, and with a refreshing tongue-in-cheek sense of humor. The company have been growing rapidly, and I'm really looking forward to chatting with Yang today to find out a little bit more about their success. Welcome, Yang. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. How are you doing today? Very good. I'm glad to hear it. Okay, so let's start all the way back in 2017, which is when you founded Just Wears. Talk to me a little bit about where the idea came from and how you first went about setting up the business. Definitely. So Justware was created out of my own necessary need. My husband at that time was working in finance and oftentimes like sitting in the office for more than nine, ten hours. After a long day, he would complain that his underwear doesn't fit well. He has to constantly readjust that and shuffle around and it rides up, it chafes and it gives him wedgie. He j- asked me to find a pair of comfortable underwear that actually solved all this problem. So I went on high street to try to find loads of like different brands from famous one common clients to performance underwear like Nike, Lululemon, Under Armour, just to hope that he can find a pair of underwear that actually fit. But all we have come across is cotton-made underwear or synthetic fabric-made underwear that doesn't feel well, that chafe, that rides up, and uh, it gave him uh, skin irritation. This is a moment I realized, wow, there's just no single pair of underwear that is actually designed with a man's comfort in need. Most of the materials are either cotton or like synthetic fabric. But in reality, there's way much more sustainable materials available in the market, which I went to the top agricultural university back home that we're specializing in material science. I just see an opportunity where I can bring what I learned at school and also into that men's underwear category to come up with something that actually well-designed, fit really perfectly, feel incredibly soft made of sustainable material and on top of that has a pouch designed to keep like a men's package sweat free. That is when the idea of just wear was born. Nice. I'm sure all of the men listening currently will identify with that very specific sense of discomfort that you just described and will 100% be interested. So you had the idea in 2017. How did you then go about turning that into a business? Definitely. So when the idea first came out, it was more just a family chat between me and my partner. And very quickly, when I was doing my shopping for him, I realized like there's just nothing really come to satisfy the need. And I started to chat with my male friends over drinks, 
and uh, they all complained of the same issue. They all said like most of the underwear on the street doesn't really fit well. The most issue is they would love a better fit, better designer underwear to help them stop sweat, stop chafing around their important bit. And with that idea, it would be nice to have a pouch to actually ergonomically separate their quandrule. And this is the idea that the light bulb moment, I wonder, oh, if so many people are trying for a product like that, why don't I just give a try? I start to take a design crash course on Udemy for three months, learned all the like uh, fashion design element and travel to Turkey, Lisbon and China across the world to find the material, find the manufacturer to work with just so I can bring the idea into sample. When I finally have the sample, I invited like a group of my friends and their friends to just be my beta tester and taking the feedback to making sure that I'm actually hitting somewhere. As I feel more confident with the product, I launched the concept basically just where was the idea as the only underwear your bros deserve was launched on Kickstarter, the largest crowdfunding platform in the world. And I was looking for 15,000 pounds of pre-order just so I can get the production running. And very surprisingly, the concept itself as a pouch underwear to support men to feel comfortable and fit a performance lifestyle really take it off. In the first 30 days, we become the most back to the power project in the UK with over 150,000 pounds of pre-orders from across like over 60 countries of peoples. That was like an overjoyed moment. I haven't made a lot of money, but I definitely feel like, yeah, this is. Yeah. Was that the time where you felt like, okay, this actually has real potential here? Like I'm sitting on a bit of a gold mine. Definitely. Like I didn't feel that pre-order. Like the pre-order basically is a customer pre-ordering your product because they believed in you. It's definitely a validation in my confidence and also the concept itself. I would consider that as a proper product market fit test we have done at the start of our journey. Yeah, amazing. And how has the company grown since? Because you've hired more people, you've grown quite rapidly as a business. Actually, since the Kickstarter, since 2017, it took me about 10 months to really get the branding, production, quality control, and the strategy in place to be able to launch online. So we only launched at the end of 2018. Since then, the business has been growing stronger and stronger. But when I'm trying to stand with the whole innovative concept and also at this moment, like we're growing into retail as well, you would be able to find us like in John Lewis, Wolfgang Belger, or this retail shop across London. Oh, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thanks. Is that coming in the new year then? You'll be actually in physical stores as well. So we're already doing some pop-up across London. That is in physical store, but still our main focus is direct to consumer. Nice. What's the balance between your thinking with your D2C channel and then the physical retail stores as well? Do you worry about the shift in sales of the two channels? No, I don't. This is really coming down to building a brand is about building brand equity, right? And brand equity is a combined of multiple elements such as brand awareness, 
brand loyalty and your perceived quality and your brand association a lot. And the direct-to-consumer is our business model. We want to be able to create the first-hand experience to customers and the only now whole experience from end-to-end. And the retail provider an opportunity to help us to increase the brand awareness. When we have a physical presence in real life where people can walk in and walk out, interacting with our staff and sometimes including myself, I love doing that. It builds that authenticity into the brand, make people feel like your brand is approachable, the people behind your brand is real. And I imagine that you're talking about brand equity as well. Again, it's another place for people to interact with your brand in real life too. Like the more places you are, the more you're going to be front of mind. Exactly. It's like an impression, right? Your digital marketing, you have an impression. You want your brand to be seen everywhere. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. Well, I'm glad you mentioned brand equity because I remember when we first talked in preparation for this recording, it was something that you were mentioning. And as a founder, you also seem really hands-on with marketing and branding. So it really seems like you get it. But there are some founders out there that might not quite understand the importance of brand equity. If you were to like sit down with them and explain why it is something that they should be taking seriously, what would you say? I think a great brand not only connect with people's mind, but also connect with people's heart. Like when we talk about connect with people's mind, it can be very easy. You got your brand message, you got your brand value proposition, you got physical product, and then you send it to customer, customer receive that, you register it in their mind. But what really make a great brand great is they connect with their heart, with consumer's heart. That means there is an emotion value that is being served, being created in this process to really connect with what you sell, who you are as a brand, with the customer you want to eat, buying from you. And this really makes brand equity one of the most important elements when you are building a successful brand. So brand equity covers so many things, right? We touch the part of brand wellness, touch about brand loyalty, which is a key part of continue growing the brand. If you don't have an amazing product, if you don't have a customer who loves your product, then the brand is a failure. So I think it is non-negotiable or it's a common sense to focus on building brand equity for anyone who's out there trying to build a brand. Perfect. I'm convinced. But to achieve that as well, when you're growing as a business, I take it that will present certain challenges and that you need to ensure everyone's pulling together and in the same direction. What's your approach to making sure that that continues with JustWares as you grow? Uh, I think there are multiple elements here. Depends on who you're talking to, right? The first thing is when we create a brand is always like, what is your brand value, mission, purpose? This thing has to be super clear from day one. And when you are communicated to customer, this work will be transferred through your communications, through your marketing message, through your graphic creative, through the product description, and through the mission page, story page. Mission, vision, and the purpose should be reflecting throughout every single touch point with customers. And when it comes to internally, these three elements need to be properly 
implemented through the day when you hire people. So having an excellent onboarding process where uh, focus on cultural, focus on business value is super important to make sure that these people who work for the brand understand you, understand what the brand stands for. Hence, when they are generating their work as an output, the output itself reflects all this value so customer can receive. So it's more like a closed loop, starting with having a really clear brand value, mission, purpose in place. Yeah. And I like your point about the onboarding process too, because I think, especially like me personally from a marketing background, you can really tell the difference between the marketing messages you get served that have been written by people who are genuine advocates for the brand themselves as well. They're like really invested in it. I guess it goes to that like authenticity piece that you were talking about as well. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I was having a little stalk on your LinkedIn and you were talking a bit on your LinkedIn about the importance of being a challenger brand and how you believe you can be a challenger brand, achieve commercial success as well as have positive benefit on society. Just explain a little bit for those who might not understand what a challenger brand is. How would you define it? I look at the challenging brand has a few elements. Like one, challenging brand often embrace an underdog mentality. They positioning themselves as alternative to the established leader in the market. This can be used to connect with consumers who are looking for something different. Also, it's the cool value proposition a challenging brand provided to the market is we are an alternative better solution to your need. And in our case is we are a better brand with a better product and underwear with a better service with customer in mind. And the second element of a challenging brand is they do come across as disruptor because they oftentimes disrupt the status quo like, for example, when Dollar Shaver Club first came to the market, there's no other single shaving company can sell at a such affordable price with a good quality. They clearly challenge that is well-established market as a razor and standing out with their own service. And the last bit, like as a challenger brand, is more around their creativity and the product innovation. Take us as an example, underwear is a category that there's no innovation for decades. What was the last time you think about Common Klein or Hero Boss did some innovation in underwear? Probably not. But we come into the market and we present to the customer with a pouch underwear that no one was doing that in the UK before. This is where and our pouch underwear economically help men to stop sweat, stop chafing, stop riding up, ultimately making their whole experience of wearing underwear just feel incredibly comfortable. And when you feel comfortable, you're most likely act confidently. And then we also approach this whole underwear category rather than going as a sexy, like a, showing your six pack on a black and white billboard. We actually tell you, this is a palace for your phallus. It's a fun, it's joking, but with a really good sense of humor and make people smile rather than feel like self-conscious. 
all these elements with the mentality, with the product innovation and the marketing message is really combined as how we challenge the market. I really like that explanation because it's not enough to have an innovative concept, is it, for a challenger brand? It's then how you also go about executing that and going into market with your market messaging. And it's funny, what you were just saying about the underwear industry having a certain set of images, what you just described was exactly what came into my mind. It's the black and white like torso with the kind of underwear shots. It must be quite refreshing being able to come in and disrupt it and do something completely different like that. I definitely feel rewarding when we take an unconventional approach to marketing or positioning or product offering and being well received by customer. That is making my whole day. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It sounds like that challenger brand mentality for you has been from the founding of Just Wears, like you really like baked it in. But do you think if a founder or a head of marketing is listening to this in an existing e-commerce company that maybe aren't a challenger brand, is it too late to become a challenger brand? Or what advice would you give them? That's a really good question. Basically, you were asking if a challenger brand come as a bull or is that trainable, right? And in my view, I definitely see a lot of established consumer business, especially in fast consumer sector, trying to make that pivot towards to being more digital native and more mobile friendly with brighter, more accessible content. It's definitely happening across the world. When it comes to can they become a challenger brand, I think that also defined by the founder mentality as well. Not every brand needs to be a challenger brand at all. Coming down to the ambition of the founders, do they want to run a sustainable, healthy, slow growth, but profitable lifestyle consumer business? Or do they have a really big ambition that they want to go fast, go big, and uh, trying to really disrupt the element of business across supply chain, product, marketing, and customer service? I do see we all have things to learn from each other, but it doesn't require every brand to be a challenging brand at all. Yeah. So it's about knowing your market, knowing your product, and then assessing what is the best route to go with. Yes. That makes sense. The brand is clearly very ambitious. You're growing, but you also have this really strong social and environmental message and you become a B Corp organization as well. How important has those sorts of values also been in trying to differentiate from your competitors? It's very important to us, to me as a founder as well. I think my long-term mission is to build a consumer business that have a generation impact. Like when we first talked about why do I want to build a business? Why do I choose in a consumer sector, which seems very competitive and saturated? And my answer has always been like, I love creating tangible values. The tangibility itself can come from small things like when, how happy customers feel when they receive the product. And how many people smile, laugh when they check out a website and see the only underwear you both deserve, made of wood for your wood. They're very humor, but they're not serious. And they're not 
low quality, we try to strike a balance between building a sustainable commercial business versus building a value that is tangible to conveyed by the customers. And when it comes to social purpose, because I was not born here, I'm an immigrant entrepreneur. I come from southwest part of China on the border between Laos and China, where access to education or other resource just not fair or not equally distributed across the region. Hence, a lot of people don't have the opportunity to be living in a nice, striving environment. And when we're doing just west, the social element for us is we're constantly giving back. We're constantly giving back to help the people in the underdeveloping areas or constantly helping the deforesting in this underdeveloping area that sit alongside with our long-term vision. I think it's really admirable as a founder that you're clearly really ambitious with the business, but also it's not the message that it's growth at all costs. You also have these sets of values that you personally really believe in, but I'm sure also your customers will. And you can grow, but it's also how you then give back to the community and the causes that you really care about. Yeah. Well, I think we'll move on to the actual marketing tactics you guys are using to grow currently. So we've mentioned a little bit about the messaging that you're using. It's one of the things that I first came across Just Wears through an Instagram ad. And the thing that really like struck me straight away was the messaging that you're using. It's so tongue-in-cheek and funny and playful. And when you go on the site, from your logo, the icons that you're using, how you're using illustrations of bits of fruit to represent certain bits of the male anatomy, it's really spot on. How effective do you think using humor like that has been in your marketing efforts? It's 100% efficient or effective. I have no single moment regretting for not using it. I think that really circling back, echoing back of what you talked about early on as a challenging brand. Humor is where we define as part of our brand value to be able to differentiate from the rest of consumer business, especially with our competitors. I love making things enjoyable. I love things that putting people with a happy face. And if that's who I am, and I'm building this brand that I had put all my passion into, I would love some part of that life value I hold being reflected into my own business. And the sense of humor is definitely one of the value. I am really proud that we adapted, applied it in a really smart way. Definitely. And it's clearly working for you guys. What acquisition channels are you running currently that you've seen the most success with? Our most successful acquisition channel is still Facebook. How long have you been active on Facebook? Is that meta as well, so Facebook and Instagram? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm still living in the uh, <laughs> old world. <laughs> I know, it's taking a while to get used to it. So, yeah, we do Facebook and the Instagram. Nice. Well, I was actually looking through the ad library and I noticed you're using a lot of user-generated content in your advertising and the videos that you're putting out there. What was the thinking and the reasoning behind using a lot of UGC? We started using UGC content probably three years ago. Initially, when we were a small business, we didn't have a budget. The UGC content actually was generated by me or my partner. 
is like very authentic grassroots of UGC content. And as we scaled, we realized the scrappy content actually brings a sense of realness into the consumer world, making them feel like this is one of them are talking to the customers. They're more likely to have a higher click-through rate and more likely to convert into sales. And with the learning we have, we decide to double in down into generating more UGC content at a scale to understand what other elements actually really engage with the customers. In this process, we realize the f- number of followers doesn't really guarantee the conversion. However, the more creative content itself with a script, with the opening line, the first like five seconds of UGC content would make completely difference. And that's all this learning we take along the journey. Perfect. Well, on that note, what types of creative have you seen on your Facebook advertising and Instagram advertising? What types of creative have you seen perform particularly well? We're actually constantly testing different creative. So there's no one winning formula because the performance fluctuates quite a lot. And at this moment, the creative we're seeing winning a lot is gifting. Even though we're a men's underwear brand, a lot of female customers really love our brand, found it really entertaining, could be a really good gift they purchased from us. So content-wise, if it's reflecting that nature of gifting, the sense of humor, for example, we explain to customers how great this product is in a very funny and joking way. And they also show the guys in the video who receive the product feeling really happy about that almost preempt our customers' expectations. If they bought our underwear, if they give this to their partner or their boyfriend, how happy they would be. So we're preempting the real-time customers' like reaction into our UGC content, and that is working well. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. So one other thing I noticed in your ads is you make really good use of your appearance on Dragons then. So for non-UK listeners or for UK listeners who have been living under a rock, Dragon's Den is a TV show where founders like Yang can go on and pitch for investment from successful entrepreneurs, the US equivalent of Shark Tank. So I was wondering about the impact of going on Dragon's Den. How has it had a knock-on effect for your acquisition channels? Well, the day when we go on Dragon's Den, when the click come out and then we repurpose that click and then use that as an acquisition content, our CPA went down to the floor and that was the most exciting period of time. Now we just repurposed that content for about a year time and it generated over hundreds, hundreds of response. If we reply to customers, it generated more conversation and the amount of sharing we got is went off the roof. And obviously from a commercial perspective, that is one of our most successful creative content. Even though the click looks quite scrappy because we repurposed the internet. However, it worked. For anyone who is looking for opportunity to grow, I do encourage everyone to take a chance to go on shows like the Dragon Stand or some other television shows just for the purpose of getting more brand awareness, but also potentially generate some creative content for online paid social media. Yeah, lots of content that you can then be using up to a year, you said. Yeah, definitely. Once you hit some plateau or like fatigue with the customers, 
then that were gradually stop working. But in that year time, I definitely say that is the most powerful acquisition content we had. Yeah, wow. That's very cool. For my own personal curiosity, what was it like going on Dragon's Den? Were you quite nervous beforehand? Definitely. It's quite intimidating process, to be honest. It's one of the longest run television show in the UK. It has over millions of people watching at the same time. And you were walking into a room to see some of the most famous portfolio investor in the UK. And the camera is everywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely under pressure, but I enjoy that. It's a life experience. I would never regret to do it again. Well, I can imagine now that you've done that, which is probably one of the scariest TV appearances you could do. It feels like, well, everything else must be a walk in the park, right? Yeah, <laughs> you were right. <laughs> okay, wonderful. Well, I just got a few more questions before we wrap up. Again, you've got a loyalty scheme and an ambassador program. What do you see are the key differences between the two? So we have a loyalty program for probably four years out of the five years of operation. Ambassador program is actually quite new thing. We only start trying this year. And we have seen quite different results with it. With the loyalty program, it's more easily understood by consumer, everyday consumer. Like the market already trained our customer to understand or accept the concept of loyalty program. For example, in Tesco, they have their famous club club, right? With the ambassador program, I think consumers still feel like they are new. Like an ambassador, you have to be someone big to be an ambassador. But in reality, the current ambassador program made it very accessible for anyone to be an ambassador, to be word of mouth. We see commercially, loyalty program has more signed up, engagement and referral link redemption is higher and the ambassador program has lower signed up however people who signed up has a significant higher engagement rate so they kind of tailor the for different purpose and the different audience and it's good to have a both if you can afford it nice that makes sense i was looking at the loyalty program as well and i think other marketers or founders can take inspiration from this because i love how you really incentivize review getting. If someone posts a picture of their products, they get extra point. I think there's some like quick wins there that other people could go and take away if they're thinking about starting their own loyalty scheme. Yeah, when we started about our loyalty program, we wanted to make it gamified because we think that matched up with our sense of humor really well. Our tier system, every loyalty program probably have a tier system. But for us, our tier system is like, we talk about palace for your phallus. So tier system is actually set it up based on the different rooms. You got into the ballroom and you got eventually as you climb out the tier, you will end up on the throne in the palace. So it's all relevant as a cultural combined. Yeah, that must have been so much fun to come up with. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, wonderful. Well, I've just got a few closing questions to wrap this up. So you've personally had a lot of success and already achieved a lot of great things with Just Wears. For somebody listening who might have been in your position in 2017, maybe they've got an idea and they're thinking, maybe I could found my own D2C business. What single bit of advice would you give somebody? 
single advice I would give for someone who run DTC business probably would be follow your gut and be authentic. Show who you are in your brand. Amazing. Lovely. And what other D2C challenger brands in the space do you particularly admire? Are you keeping an eye out? Maybe you go to for inspiration with marketing and stuff like that. I really like a cereal brand called Cereal. Uh, it's running by a friend just actually across the street. They do more nutritious like a cereal brand and the brand tone, the way they engage it, it's just the most funny things, funny brands I have seen recently. By reading their marketing content, I can feel the personality behind the brand. And I really love them. That's a great example because I think Surreal have a lot of similarities to what you guys are doing just as well. It's very humorous, very tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, definitely. Nice. Okay, well, that's the end of the episode then. Thank you so much, Yang, for talking with us. I've personally really enjoyed talking to you and hearing all about what you guys have been doing at Just Wears. Really excited to see what you'll be doing in the future. And thank you to all of those listening at home. We'll see you on the next episode. Excellent. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to e-commerce marketing 101, how to grow your DTC brand. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the series for actual tips you can use in your own e-commerce marketing. This podcast series is brought to you by Dash. If you need to get your visuals in front of potential customers faster, or you're sick of spending too much time sending assets to your retail partners, then we might have just what you've been looking for. Take your lead from leading e-commerce brands like Passenger Clothing and check out Dash.app. Just go to Dash.app to take out a free trial and try it for yourself.